Father in heaven, we are thankful for the blessing of a new day, the blessings you've already given us before we got here, and we pray that as we share together in this seminar, that your Holy Spirit would give us direction as we share, that you'll give us clarity, that we can make the principles come through clearly, and that you bless each listener as well, and these things can be applied to our hearts as parents and grandparents or people contemplating being parents. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about follow the leader. You think it's important to have some leadership in our parenting? (laughs) Yeah, very important. And whether we realize it or not, we are always providing an influence and example. And sometimes as we look back, we realize that that may not have been the best or the most intentional parenting. But we're going to be sharing this morning to open this up. Normally what we do is we ask for volunteers of the young people to come up. We don't have enough because we need about 10 or 12 uh, to do that this morning. So instead of doing that and letting you see the results of that uh, experiment, we're going to share with you the results and how it affects our parenting. So the topic is follow the leader, and obviously we invite the children forward. This is what we do at our family retreats, and we get a whole stage full of children, and we make it very clear to them that I am the designated leader for the children. And we ask them, have you ever played follow the leader before? And almost all of them have, and they're all excited because now they think we're going to have a lot of fun, right? (laughs) And so anyway, I said, okay, I'm your leader, and I stand there like this with my hands on my hips, but I don't say a word. I just stand there like this. And then I turn around, I look at all of them, and then I turn back around, and we wait probably, you know, 45 seconds to a minute. And it's interesting that the majority, probably 90% of the children just stand there looking at me like this. Okay? Then we do a second experiment. So in the second thing, we're, we're asking them to follow instructions, and I remind them, this is your leader. I'm going to give you instructions as to what you need to do. Do you understand? Yes, they understand. And then we reiterate, who's their leader? It's me, right? So I say to them, what you need to do is raise your right hand. And they're behind me, and I do this. Now, you're sitting backwards from me, but you're adults, so you know I've got the wrong hand up. And then I reinforce his instruction. I'm your leader. What do you think most of the children are doing behind me? Which hand do you think is up in the air? This one. Okay. Because they will tend to follow example more by visually seeing what we do than just, you've heard the old adage, do as I say and not as I do. Now, how many parents really want to live that way? But that's the way many of us, unfortunately, live our lives. We want our children to be very good Christians. We don't want them to be disrespectful. We want them to be God-honoring and honoring their parents. And then the example we often set goes exactly the opposite. So instead of raising their right hand, and it's interesting to watch the confusion, mm-hmm. because when you have the 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds <laughs> up there, as soon as, as she says, or I say, okay, raise your right, raise hand. Your right hand, those older children, they, they immediately do But it. as soon as I do this... Then they, they start going, uh, <laughs> you know, like this. It's like, wait a minute, that's, because that is confusing. And that is often the kind of parenting that we do, okay? We say things like this. Don't yell at your brother. I'm so tired of this. Now, we laugh because we know how human we are, okay? Mm-hmm. Or we, we tell them, you know, children, this is, you cannot, you cannot talk back this way when we ask you to do something. And then they hear dad come home for supper, and he says something, and mom says, what? And there we go. Mom's negotiating with dad, and the children are going, huh. 
Now, depending on their age, they, it's confusing because I get in trouble when I do that with my sister or if I do that with mom. But now here's mom and dad. They're actually in an argument. That's confusing to children. And unfortunately, that happens all too often. And then the last example we give with, you know, a whole stage full of children behind us is to take their index fingers, and I hold up my index fingers, even the little tiny ones, three and four years old, point the finger. They may not know the name, but they see my finger up, and plug your ears. So we do this. And 100% of the children do it. <laughs> so we have given clear instruction, and we have given an example that meets the instruction, and we have 100% cooperation. So the message this morning is parenting styles. The first one is my husband, or as I mentioned, we just, we just give in instructions kind of like follow the leader, you know, I'm the leader, and then we don't say anything else. We, just, we assume that because I'm mom or he's dad that they're just going to do what they're supposed to do by our example. It is not enough. Many parents parent that style. Or the second one, which is probably more frequent, is we give instruction but do the opposite. Both of those first two styles in parenting bring confusion. And the confusion happens, and then the levels of stress go up, and the levels of irritation rise, and then we find more conflict in the home. So we, we want to... We're talking about parenting this week in the context of the culture we live in. And everything in our culture, as you well understand, at least as, as parents here and grandparents, is that the culture is working against right parenting principles. And it's not by accident, it's by intention. And you may not know that as well as we have learned that because we because we're doing seminars all over the world and we're, this is our life, this Ministry of Restoration International that deals with the family, we try to keep abreast of what's happening in the world. And right now there is an agenda in the United States of America that many people know about that is actively seeking to destroy the marriage and the family. Okay? It is not just that the world is deteriorating. It's doing that too. <laughs> it is that there is an intentional design to disrupt the family and create an alternative view of what makes the family, okay? So in our culture today, parenting principles where we actually give a right example and give right instruction, which would be based on biblical principles, is very unpopular. And it is very difficult now for parents today to be, <laughs> the term is politically correct in the lifestyle we live, because in our culture today, there's the hands-off parenting, which we talked about a little bit yesterday, and there's also the, the idea that we try to do everything possible as parents to make our children happy. But without God's word, it's impossible. Because that gets interpreted in real life, in our culture, as you give them whatever they cry for, you give them whatever they whine for, you give them whatever they want, and you give it to them now. Okay? And if you don't, <laughs> they will throw a fit, which is embarrassing, at Walmart. Okay? But now it's becoming much more acceptable to yeah, do that. Expected. I mean, it's, it's just the expectation. You can walk at any store and hear the screaming, right? I mean, any store there, where there's moms or parents and kids, if you're in there long enough, you're going to hear one of the, them go off, right? So this is the culture we live in today. And it goes against the parenting principle, which was number three, and that is that we, we give them clear instructions and so that's the precept. Mm -hmm. And then we give them clear example. Most of what's happening today is happening often by default, and it's parents that are hoping that their children will do what's right, but it's not 
happening because the example isn't being set and the child sees, well, I can get away with stuff in Walmart or I can get away with stuff at Grandma and Grandpa's that I can't get away with other places and they keep testing the boundaries. Yeah. So as we look at following the leader, obviously the leader we want to follow is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And his word is the foundation of, of uh, true parenting. And we encourage you to go back to some of those Old Testament stories because it's a beautiful picture of God, how he parented his first family and how he parented his extended family, his larger family, the children of Israel. There are so many principles we've gleaned over the years that have helped us to set a, a straight course because we parented, you know, our oldest is almost 37, our youngest is 32. So we're going back nearly 30 years ago in this process for little ones. And so for, we really haven't been in active parenting for the most part for the last 12 to 15 years. Now we're active grandparents. Yes, but I want to say that even in our day, there was so much pressure for us just to fit into the groove of how modern parenting is done here in this, this progressive Western culture. And we followed many of those patterns and those trends until we saw that in just a short period of time, we were seeing problems in our children. And thank the Lord that he got our attention and put his word back into our minds and our, and our hands that we keep need to go back here, 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 here in order to stay that course. Now those of you who are parenting in this present day, you think it's, it hasn't gotten any easier. You have more pressure on you because the standards and the norms and the, the principles in this country, which was established off spiritual principles, they are crumbling aside and more and more man's wisdom and philosophies are coming in, driving culture that is, that is antagonistic to God's word. So it's very important. I want to encourage you. That's why the Bible is our foundation for this entire week of parenting today's culture because it is the only true place you can go to find the straight line and not get off into all these different deviations. It's going to end up in heartache and despair. So let's look at Psalm 25. If you have your Bibles or on your devices, Psalm 25, we're looking at verses 4 and 5 for kind of a theme text for what we're talking about today. It says, show me thy ways, O Lord. I love that. Do what? Show. Show me, show me thy ways. Show me how this, this is done. And then teach me your paths. And verse 5 says, then lead me. So we've got show me and teach me and lead me. <laughs> lead me into thy truth, teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. So today we're going to make this very practical. One of the things that we found in, in our parenting is that when our eyes were opened, as my wife said, we began to recognize, you know, this is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so we, we took God's word, including the inspired commentaries and the spirit of prophecy, and we began to just pour ourselves into this. But we, we fell into a mistake that many parents do when they finally turn to the word of God. And we laid all the books down that we got in the books, you know, the, the Christian bookstores, and we just went back to the Bible. But we just started reading too much. And, we came to the realization that it's better, and we're going to share this example with you today, it's better to take one paragraph that is power-packed, and this one we're going to share with you is full of instruction, very practical instruction. And instead of reading a whole bunch and saying, I got through that chapter in Child Guidance, or I got through that all those chapters in the Bible, just to focus in and say, how are we going to make this practical in our home today? And so I'm going to share with you one paragraph that is loaded with nine things that we are to do very clearly. Okay? It's taken from Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 65. 
It says, parents, by precept and example. So here we are. Follow the leader. There Follow the leader. Precept, that's the principle, and our example to live it out. Should teach their children the love and the fear of God. Okay, so that's the overarching desire, which goes back to what we read yesterday in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 7. And then it breaks it down. It says, teach them to be intelligent. Teach them to be social. Teach them to be affectionate. Isn't that interesting? Then, to cultivate habits of industry. To cultivate habits of economy. To cultivate habits of self-denial. That's a foreign word in today's culture, self-denial. What is that? <laughs> I mean, it's all about self-gratification, right? Not just on the child's level, but it's also on growing in the adult level as well. We just finished our California family retreat uh, just before we came here on Saturday night. And we were talking in another message about words and terms today that, that are very unpopular. This is one of those phrases, mm -hmm. self-denial. Even hearing it sounds like, ugh. Are you serious? We have to deny ourselves? Okay, so those are six things. Now it says the last area is giving our children. Now this is now what we're going to give. So we've talked about six things. We're going to teach them intelligence to be social, to be affectionate. We're going to cultivate habits of industry, economy, and self-denial. And now parents, by giving their children love, sympathy, and encouragement at home may provide for their children a safe and welcome retreat from many of the world's temptations. One paragraph that is loaded with nine things that we can do as parents that will help our children survive the world that we're living in today. So we're going to take these nine things, and we're going to break them down in very simple and practical daily terms. So typically, we would read something like that. That's just one little paragraph, and we would probably read pages, and then we're all done, and then we go into the day with the children. It's like, oh, what do I do? Where do I start? You know, it's like, and we're overwhelmed because we, we take too much on us. So take a little bit and think about it, contemplate it, pray on it, Discuss it as a father and mother, husband and wife, and then talk about how does this, what does this look like in practicality when we implement it in our families. This is what we've done. This one paragraph was on at my desk for weeks and weeks and weeks because it took me a long time to let this sink in to the depth in which God had written it here. So when we're talking about leadership as parents, this is a recipe, shall we say, that will help us to be good leaders for our children. And it's interesting, God breaks it down. There's three things to teach, three things to cultivate the habit in, and three things that we have to give in order to accomplish the most important thing, which was to teach our children to love and fear God. If, we, if that's our overarching desire, which we talked about yesterday, and which we all agreed that ultimately we want to see our children receive the crown of life, right? Then we have to get serious about what we're going to do. So as we look at these, we're going to dissect this down, and we're going to look at the first area of teaching. Three things. We're to teach intelligence. Our children are naturally intelligent, aren't they? I mean, babies, when they, you can see it, you know, all of a sudden they recognize mom's face and they respond with a smile. That happens just weeks after birth. And that's a sign of intelligence. So I would say, unless your child has something medically wrong, okay, then typically our children's intelligence is being developed in infancy. 
And so often we as parents miss it. We wait till they can have a, more of a communication dialogue with us to think that, you know, they're, they're getting it, they're intelligent. Children in less, less than a year old are all already deciding how things are going to happen in the home. <laughs> how many of you have ever recognized that? Some of them by two years old are totally managing the family. <laughs> We know from experience, our first two, we, start off, we started off reading everybody else's ideas and methods, and methods work for a while, they really do, but they don't reach the heart, and they don't bring us, the, they don't get us to the finish line. And all those methods did was only strengthen the will in our little girls to where it was more difficult than to to deal with them. So intelligence. So we have our children who are intelligence. So why should we have to teach this intelligence? Most of us think in the, in the lines of academia. We're going to teach them and educate them, you know, in the academics of life. Uh -uh. This is talking about... Well, it includes that. includes but. <laughs> that, but it's not exclusive to that. This is talking about practical intelligence. So, I'll give you a simple example. These are the things that people remember, and we remember them from our children, okay? So we're, we've moved to Montana from our suburban lifestyle, and we're in our super cab. It was an old 1978 Ford super cab. Pickup. It was a pickup truck with a, the, kind of a little bench seat in the back. It's great for children and car seats. And, and our son, Josiah, by that point, you always remember 14, the age. 14, 15 months old. Right in that area. He, okay. was, he was talking some, but not, not really a communicator. He was definitely learning. He was becoming intelligent on how to manipulate parents and things <laughs> like that. Okay. I don't know where they get that degree, but anyway. So we're driving along the road, and I notice out of my peripheral vision that he's got his binky, okay, pacifier, whatever you call it, okay. He's got that, and he's hanging it out the window. These little, little wing windows on the super cab that pop open like this, and he's hanging it out the window. And I turned to him as we're driving along, and I said, if you drop it, it's all gone. Okay? Now, sometimes we think they don't understand. <laughs> he understood. It's all gone. He pulled it back in. And you can see, I mean, this is an amazing thing. This is intelligence, okay? He's processing this in his own way. Sometimes you can see it in their eyes. They're sitting in the high chair, and you say, you drop that food, and they're just looking at you like, hmm, I wonder how serious this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> so, about a minute or two later, I notice he's got it back out the window again. <laughs> and this time, he's not looking at that. He's looking at me, <laughs> And I said, if you drop it, it's all gone. No more. <laughs> and he looked at me with such an intense look. And then he let it go. <laughs> Just was... like your children do in the high chair. It's the same thing. This is a universal child testing. <laughs> this was a moment of decision. <laughs> and I think... I don't know, because... Well, he did really, try to look, you know, but how he looked you, at, you know, where it went. see out the window. And, and I said, it's all gone. I don't know if he thought that I was going to slam on the brakes <laughs> and back up, but I didn't, <laughs> okay? And you could see the countenance on his face changing, trying to process this. It's all gone. <laughs> he can't see it anymore. <laughs> and so... There was no major meltdown or anything at that particular time, but, but the unfortunate thing is, is that our truck broke down. Yeah, our truck broke down. And so we ended up, long story short, we ended up staying in quite a nice hotel. Resort hotel that we would a resort never, town on our way home. That we would never have normally stayed in because we don't really stay in those, you know, we didn't have that kind of money, okay? And they gave us a good deal. It was kind of like an emergency rate that they had for no, us. Sorry for us. I mean, this is a resort, and most of the people there are adults. They're golfers and those kind of people. <laughs> and here comes this family with three little kids, you know, a 14-month-old, a 4-year-old, and a 5-year-old, and they're thinking, oh, dear. Hope like a desperate case. Hope they're next to our room. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were next to somebody's room because that night, when it was time to go to bed, that hope 
binky pacifier subject came back up. Can you visualize this? He doesn't have it anymore. And it's time to go to bed. That was his nighttime and naptime companion, right? <laughs> now it is time to go to bed. And, and we had a complete meltdown with all the volume you can imagine <laughs> that just makes you want to do this. Or this. <laughs> or something. And you're <laughs> thinking about the people in the rooms next to you. And then my wife reminded me that she had a backup pacifier. Every, every prepared mom has a backup <laughs> pacifier, right? In the diaper bag, it's there. Which tells us already that our children can train us well, okay? <laughs> and so she said to me, honey, I, I have another, and you know, the temptation to me was get that thing in his mouth, okay? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit was calling to me. Calling to both of calling us. Calling to both of us. And we said, we actually prayed. We said, Lord, help us. Because we didn't want the other people to have their, their night entire night <laughs> destroyed, but neither did we want to go back because this is where we as parents struggle, okay? We are talking about teaching them intelligence at a young age. If they can learn it there, begin to learn it there, they won't have the demanding where they become like tyrants, okay? Where they become dictators, to, to, to life and to, into the family. And so, by God's grace, we made it through that night, and he only cried for about... Well, it seemed like forever when it was happening, but it was probably 15 or 20 minutes. But you know when a child is upset? <laughs> it sounds like they're being murdered, right? <laughs> and, you know, you wonder what people are thinking. And the heightenedness in the culture we live in today, even when we were raising children, but the culture we're in today... Is I mean, a child cries, and you have everybody looking over your shoulder like, what are you doing to that poor thing? Yeah, and what are you going to do to make him be quiet? Yes, either sh get the thing to shut up or, you know, hands off because you're, you're, you're doing something wrong, neither of which are balanced. And so, anyway, that was the, that, he never had a binky after that. Never. And after that night, he asked for it the next day at nap time. I said, honey, remember, it's, it's all, all gone. gone. <laughs> and it was all gone, and he kind of whimpered, and that was the end. That was it. That was the end. You think about the battles that we go with our children because we, you know, no, yes, no, yes. And then we finally give in because of circumstances, right? Who's listening, who's around, or whatever. So do this at home. I mean, that would have been ideal to do it at home, right? <laughs> but unfortunately, he, he speeded up the process, right? Well, and, fortunately, I think in the long term. Yes, because we'd already been talking about our first child loved the binky, and we were trying to figure out how to get that thing away from her before she became an adult, but that's what it seemed like. You know, she's too old for this plug, and the second child never wanted anything except her finger. You can't get rid of that. Yeah, a knuckle. The knuckle. And so anyway, we've been through, you know, as we said, we started a little later with them catching on to these things, so it was a bigger battle with him. It was one night, a, a little whimper at the nap, and then we're, we're moving on. So teach intelligence to your children. The second area we're to teach is our children to be social. Again, they are social creatures, aren't they? I mean, they love to be held and cuddled, right? They love to have people, especially those that they are familiar with, to spend time with them and to play with them and to smile at them and to do things with them. Children are social. So why would God have to tell us as Christian parents to teach our children to be social? It's because we have to teach them how to be social in the right way and that they can learn to love and respect everybody all people, that they don't pick who their favorites are, they don't decide who they like and who they don't like, but that they learn to be friendly and a friend to everyone. And the best way to teach this is in our home. You know, many parents have said to us, oh, you know, they, they just, our, our kids, they fight all the time, but, you know, so that's why we love having their friends over because when he's with his friend and she's with her friend, I mean, we have peace in the house. But we have said, if we can't learn to get along in the family, if you can't be nice and kind to your sister or to your brother, then we aren't having friends over because you haven't learned how to be social. That's right. So we teach socialness in the home and teaching love and kindness in the family. 
And that sociability needs to be taught in the home, not just with their peers, because children in today's culture have an attitude that unless it's the person they like or one of their peers, they don't have any accountability to anybody, including adults. And that problem is growing exponentially around the world. That's right. When I grew up, our neighbor was Mrs. Odin. <laughs> they were Mr. and Mrs. You know, and so when our children... You never knew what their first name was. I, I still don't know what their first name is. <laughs> my whole life, my parents always called them those... Same, same with me, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And it's like, I wonder what their first names were. <laughs> but there's a level of respect. And we were taught that when the neighbor or when the teacher or the Sabbath school teacher or somebody at church or somebody else spoke to us, that we were expected to respond with respect and a, you know not just to flip our eyes and walk away. I mean, we would have never gotten away with that. But today, you can speak to a child and they just ignore you. Not only ignore you, they disdain you. Many children are learning to disdain adults who are seeking to befriend them because they have not learned how to be social. So that respect is what they learn with mom and dad. They learn with aunts and uncles. They learn with church members. They learn with grandma and grandpa. And so for those of you who are grandparents, we cannot indulge our grandchildren. Amen. We have to have the same respect that we were taught that we want them to have as they grow up because our children will not only be happier when they, when they learn to be properly socialized, but they will also be more successful here in this world when they're taught to be properly socialized. Yeah, it's been, it's been very interesting. And we've had our, our share of, of issues, as we've shared already. But it's been amazing to see, as our young people grew up, that they could actively socialize with every age group. Mm -hmm. Our young people, now in their 30s, are just as happy to be entertaining a child who need, whose mother's busy or sitting by the side of Elaine's mother who's 90 years old having an engaging conversation. A little louder for her because she's pretty deaf, but very engaging. And a lot of young people today, and it's not the young people's fault, mm -hmm. it's because we have just let them go where they want to go and be with who they want to be with because we found out, and I'm not saying this is all of us doing this, but the culture is saying, you know, so if they want to be with, with a certain friend, we found out that if you try to direct that, you get a sometimes a ballistic response, okay? You get a really strong response and a really strong attitude. And it's not the young people's fault that they end up being socially handicapped and they don't even know it because the only language they can speak is the language of their peers, okay? I mean, like, like, uh, like you know what I mean? Like, well, like, I mean, I don't, see, we're with people all the time. I don't even know if you people pick this up. But one of the social norms of today in communication among peer groups of young people is like, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, like there's like, like there's four or five, time, four or five in times every in every sentence. <laughs> do you recognize, I'm just curious, how many people recognize that? Okay, you do. Mm -hmm. This is not normal. But it's not really, so I'm not, and we're not picking on it. Fortunately, we don't know, okay, we, so we don't know if anybody in here is doing that. But this is something that is, happened because of the dysfunction of social skills, okay? And the skill set of communication has become so narrow that that is now, it's like, it's, it's like fashion, okay? It's fashionable to just speak like that. And many young people don't even know they're doing it, okay? And, I mean, I'm... I've got to really know a young person real well and have influence with them before I say, and we have occasionally done that and said, do you know how many times you said like in the last two sentences? 13 times. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> That's amazing. Really? Yeah. And because we know them and, they, and they, they trust us, but this is just a simple example 
of the social construct of the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. It's not quite normal. So we want to teach our children to be affectionate. Again, this is normal. I mean, this is, this is almost an automatic, right? Children are affectionate. They, they love to be hugged and kissed. And my mother at 90, if my husband's gone, she still likes to come and tuck me in, okay? It doesn't happen very often, but it's just something she did as a child. And whenever I'm with her, if he wasn't around, she'd always come kiss me goodnight and tuck me in. That means she put her hands on your side and kind of jiggle the mattress. So I wiggle a little bit, you know? That's that usually when you went to visit her if I couldn't go. That's what I mean. You yeah. weren't around. Now he yeah. texts me in. But anyway. I don't jiggle the bed, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a marriage seminar, so we'll save that for another time. But, <laughs> um, teaching our children to be affectionate. Our children need to see what true affection, godly affection is. We see a lot of counterfeit out there. And we see extremes on both ends. You know, you never tell your child you love them. You don't give them any physical display of affection, especially in public, because that doesn't look very good. Or you have the other extreme that, you know, takes it way too far, right? They're sleeping in the same beds until... And, and, and they can hug and kiss and sit on anybody's lap and hug and kiss anybody that they encounter. This isn't healthy and this isn't a good thing. So proper affection in the home between a father and his children and a mother and the children. And our children learned to hug each other goodnight, but they weren't kissing on each other goodnight. So this is very important in the family. And when we have people that come over to visit, a family that may be there, you know, we would do a family hug most often. And we would gather around as a family and we'd do a circle. So there's proper connection and, and a bit of affection, but not to the point where it is too intimate or too close or too personal. If we, if we allow that kind of thing to happen when they're little bitty, they kind of start growing up with that. And there's too many people out there who want to take advantage of that. They, they are very aware of who would be a good victim, and that's the proper term, to seek out to get what they want. Mm -hmm. And there's too many of those people out there and they're everywhere you go. There is no safe place on this planet because this is a planet of sin. So we so have to, make to keep our homes a safe place. Our homes have to be a safe place. Our homes need to be the training place, and then we need to be on guard everywhere we are. So we're going to move on to the, the now what we need to cultivate the three areas. So we've talked about the three areas we need to teach teach and train, and now we're going to talk about how we cultivate these three areas. First, looking at industry. Would you, again, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but is it as obvious to you, and again, we're, we're in all different places traveling a lot, but are you aware that there is a general decline in the Teen, upper teen years and early 20s of a general decline in activity and industry outside being involved in projects. Anybody, I'm just curious, anybody recognize that? Okay, that's pretty good. Because we're seeing this and we made a commitment that we would teach and train our children when, when we started getting a vision of this when our children were five, three, and and little, little little baby, we're going to teach them what home, how home operates, every part of home, so that they won't be handicapped with industry, the lack of industry, and so that became, and, and it was a little bit of a challenge to us initially. I, I can remember one night, my, my my little our little Emily, and she was three years old, and we were living in our fifth wheel, her mother's fifth wheel, while we were building our house. And she said to me, I was, I was helping to do the dishes that evening. Elaine was in, in the fifth wheel all day with the children. And she asked if she could help do the dishes. And I'm just getting ready to, to say yes. And, and my dear wife said, she's too little. She's too little. So we just quietly passed that over. And I said, that she could, she could help me. And I, I would make sure that we didn't get water all over the floor because that's tough at three years old, right? 
You turn the plate this way, it's a very big difference than turning the plate that way. It just happens really quick. But this is when you start, when your children are wanting, mommy, mommy, can I help? Daddy, daddy, can I do it? And we tend to be so busy that we say, not right now, honey, go play. And we intend to do it later when we have time, right? But it just seems like children grow up so quick. So we, that, that's just a, always a vivid example that comes to my mind. And that, that was the turning point it was that a, day. Definitely a turning point for us. And in, in that, that from then on, you know, she did, she did spill some water, and it, it's okay. Uh, I got part of the water too, okay? But in the process, she was learning at three years old, and she never stopped being mommy's helper after that. And by the time our children were in their early teens and late eight, nine, ten years old, they were already able to serve us. They called it, can we play restaurant? That's one of their games. We loved it, sure. Had a menu, had a candle, even gave us a picture to color while we were waiting for the food to come. <laughs> loved it. We colored those pictures. And they played restaurant, and they serve us a meal. They would prepare it. They would serve it. They would they clean it up. up. It's great. Go to your house and have your own restaurant in your house. <laughs> but these are the payoffs of teaching industry. Today in our culture, again, we're trying to contrast it with culture of today. It is, you just let your children play. And they fight, and they're, and they're upset, they're discontented. And then finally we think about the time they turn into the teenagers, they can do it. And they're saying, I'm moving on, sorry. Not interested in doing chores anymore. That's a tragedy. Because many young people today leave the home and we get some of those results in our marriage counseling. It's like, so you really didn't know that your wife couldn't cook, and you just married her a year ago. No, I didn't know. I mean, we just went out to eat, and okay. <laughs> we don't want to leave our young people handicapped for real life. Teach them industry. <clears throat> We're also to cultivate not only industry, but economy, and this is very important because there's no guarantee that our children are just going to be, you know, posh with, with resources, right? I mean, most of us had to work hard for what we have. There's very few people that just inherit it. There may be some in here that have inherited it, but somewhere along the line, unless you came from royalty, there was somebody who was learning that, that, that cultivating that habit of industry that worked hard enough to develop what you inherited. So... We thought, okay, how do we do this economy thing? Well, we knew what it was like because we had had a couple of times in our lives when we were under strict economy and a strict budget in order to make it. But how do we cultivate that habit of economy in our children? And so we decided when they were school age, they're probably in fourth, sixth, or seventh, third and sixth, and fourth and seventh grade, something like that. Usually every year we would budget so much money to meet their basic needs, so maybe a new pair of shoes or underwear or a new shirt or those kind of things. So we decided, since they could do math, we were going to take this principle and we were going to start practicing it in the home. So we gave each of our children, not in their hand, but we told them at the beginning of the year, you're going to each have $100. Woo, that was a lot of money back then. Still quite a bit of money today. <laughs> So this, they were going, it would go into their savings account, and they had their savings account, and they had to keep a ledger, okay? This is their education. And it was going to be their responsibility to use that to buy their needs for the year. They needed a new pair of shoes or whatever. And at the end of the year, if there was anything left, that was their money to keep with no accountability to us as parents. Oh, they liked that idea. So they all had it there. Of course, they didn't have the $100 bill in their hand, but it was interesting to watch, especially our son. He loved shoes and hats. Shoes are the women that like the shoes. Yeah, but his <laughs> idea, cowboy boots particularly. We're in Montana. A lot of people wear cowboy boots. And so we were in some store. It was kind of one of these stores that has everything. Well, like a Walmart that has everything, okay, but they didn't have Walmarts back then. And he saw this pair of cowboy boots. It was 30-some dollars, and he really wanted them very bad didn't really yet understand the value of money. Okay. I said to him, okay, remember you have this much, 
to last you the entire year. And this was at the front end of the year. And so, you know, I helped him to see, okay, if you have $100, you're going to spend, you know, $35 on this. This is what you have left. And he, he had that math concept. And uh, he thought about it, he thought about it. He, he said, no, I, I'll wait, I'll wait. And then he said, Mommy, can you take me to the thrift store? Because we did shop the thrift stores, thrift stores. And would you believe that they had a pair of cowboy boots well used in his size for like $3? He was so excited. He says, Mom, I want to get, Mommy, I want to get these cowboy boots. In all those years of doing that, they never ran out of money because they had learned to be decisive with, you know, to, to give an account and, and, and to make decisions on a small amount. This is so important to cultivate this habit because if we do not teach our young people monetarily how, how life really works, and we teach them that anytime you want something, you just get out that piece of plastic and you know, run it through the scanner, put the chip in, this is a dangerous thing to be teaching. It's a total disconnect. It's like a never-ending fountain of resources, but that's not reality, is it? I mean, I have never found one that I can put the chip at the end of the month that says balance zero on it, you know? <laughs> uh-uh. It gives me every item, I mean, every purchase I've made to the penny there. So it's important that we teach our children this, and especially back it up younger than you think, and give them that responsibility, and that helped to set them for life. And so now we have three adult young people and going into life, they had savings, considerable amount of savings that helped them to start their first home or make a, a sizable down payment on a first home. Those are things that are so important because when you get into the real world, if you have no down payment and you are maxed out at the top end of that mortgage, and there are places that will lend, I mean, they did for a while and then everything collapsed and now they're wanting you to have, you know, 15, 20% down, but it really helps our young people to understand how important it is to be a good steward. And that's what scripture said, let everyone give an account. That's what Luke says. So cultivate that habit of economy. And the third area that we want to talk about in, in, in cultivating, that means continue to work this into their real life, real understanding, and it just becomes a part of them. And that is the, the self-denial phrase, okay? Uh, another just simple example that comes to my mind, a little bit embarrassing, but anyway, um, when we would sit down at the meal table, especially breakfast, my son and I, Josiah, the youngest, we really like to eat. We really like breakfast. I mean, we like every meal, okay? <laughs> and so here, here would be the normal scene, okay? We've had our family worship. The breakfast is ready and we're sitting down to eat. And if you would have a video of this back in those days, we're diving into the food after we've had the blessing. We're just diving into the food, both of us. Wish I could just say it was him, that it was both of us. And we could literally be well into our meal before anybody else has really got their plate served. When we saw this principle, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart. Okay, as a father. Self-denial, what does that look like? Well, that looks like maybe I ought to be serving everybody else at my family and then serve myself. Oh, what a novel idea. <laughs> what a novel idea to self, right? Okay, self-serving, you get it? <laughs> and so I talked to my son, just had a little dad-son talk, and I said, how about we do this? We're, we're studying this in, in family worship. We're talking about it. So I'm going to do it with him. He's going to do it with me. And I tell you, it was revolutionary at our table. It was amazing. Very heart-touching, actually, not only to us, but also to the rest of the family. And so we decided, well, after we have our blessing, that he and I will serve everyone at the table, and then I will serve him, and he will, and then I'll serve myself. We'll be done, and we'll all eat together. Now, is that pretty simple? But it was huge, and in the whole family, including 
my son and I appreciated it. Mm -hmm. I know they appreciated it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and then it wasn't just so much serving, but we just passed everything around. That was another aspect. So there's a couple ways it was done before anybody dove in, you know. You can get the mashed potatoes on your place. You can have them half gone before the next item gets to you. So we just passed everything so everybody had it. But there's many ways we can teach self-denial in the home. And you put it in the context, you know your family, you know the needs of your home, you know who is the mo who are the more aggressive ones and who are the more naturally restrained or naturally reserved, reserved who aren't you know, going to be the one to gobble, gobble, gobble right away or whatever. <laughs> That was just his first words, by the way. Those were my first words. <laughs> it was mom, mom, but it was gobble, gobble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, dear. Anyways. Right there, my, my baby book. My first words, puts gobble, gobble. Context puts context to it, right? Because he didn't learn that as a child. So he had to learn it as an adult. I said it was a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> All right, we better move on because we're going to be moving out of time. Okay. So we want to give now. The next area is what we're going to give our children. We're supposed to give them love. Of course we love our children, don't we? I mean, when they're infants, we can hardly take our eyes off of them, right? It, we, we listen for their breathing, right? I mean, we are so in tune with these babies and, you know, it's just this beautiful experience unless they, you know, have colic or something like that. But anyway, we love them. We show them affection. But the love it's talking about here is a love that goes beyond just normal motherly or fatherly affection. It's teaching them, uh, giving our children love that is in the form of our time, our energy, our enthusiasm, and our commitment. So to really show our children how much we love them doesn't mean we just feed them, bathe them, diaper them, or whatever stage right. they are in, and then just let them go for the day and then come back to the meal table later and we start the process all over again. Loving our children means we take time for them. We take an interest in them. We read to them. We listen to their little prattle. We, we play, we, you know, I would be in the kitchen working and the, the children would come and I had my Tupperware cupboard on the low side and I just opened the door and let them play and then I would, you know, get down for a moment and just look them in the eye and play with them for a couple of minutes and then go back to my work. Those little spontaneous interactions create this bond of love that God is talking about. So love is defined in time and attention enthusiasm, energy, and commitment. That's a big, those are big definitions for the word love, which means it's all inclusive, it's all day long. And yesterday we read about, you're to teach and train your children about these things in the morning, in the night, when you walk by the way, when you sit at the table. That's what it's talking about. This is how we pour love into our children. Love is more than just the affection, it's, much, it's the whole uh, product. And then sympathizing with them, this is something that we need to give to our children. So we give them our love that is manifest in these ways that Elaine just shared, and then we give them sympathy. That, that doesn't mean that we indulge their every want and whimper. It means that we enter in with them. The Bible says, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that love him. It means entering in at their age with what they're going through. You know, children have disappointments at young ages, okay? Mm -hmm. And that disappointment may be to us like, no. that is ridiculous, okay? But at two or three or four years old or, or 10 or 15 years old, those disappointments enter in to them and where they are in life and their maturity or lack of maturity, they need us to enter in with them. They need us to sympathize with them, that we understand what you're going through right now, and that we give them some caring attention to that. And then we need to give our children encouragement. So that tells me, and I know by, by my own default mode, is that we spend more time seeing the faults than we see in the good. We, we point out what they're not doing right instead of seeing what they are doing right. So when, we, when it says that we need to give our children encouragement, means we need to intentionally look 
for all the positive ways that they are responding in the day to the Spirit of God. Because every good gift is from God above. So any good action, whether it's a kind word spoken, a kind deed done, or whatever, is all motivated from the power of God in the heart of the child. It is not necessarily spontaneous to human nature because we are 6,000 years deficient in that character that we were originally created in the Garden of Eden in the, in the image of God. We still have some of that. It was never totally taken away, but we have the sins of the fathers for many generations upon us, and we've passed them on down to our, our offspring. So give them the encouragement. That means intentionally focus. You know, thank you, Emily. What you just did for your brother was so nice. I mean, it, just that, you know, picking up something he dropped without him asking her to. Not because he was lazy, but because she happened to be walking by and she picked it up and set it back on his desk. Those little tiny acts of kindness, being sensitive, of love being manifested in the home, they need to be identified and encouraged because that goes to the heart of the child that, that motivates them to want to be like that more. And then they become more and more and more that way and more and more sensitive to other people. So we've just spent the last you know, 50 minutes talking about nine things that we can do in one paragraph of inspiration. Nine things, if we would focus there. And just make them practical. Make them alive in our family. And so we're not going to get all this stuff just all at once, but in, in Isaiah 28, 10, it says... For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept. How many times did I use the word precept? Four times. Do you know when the Bible uses a word and it repeats it, that's pretty important. When it says it four times, it's very important. Okay? The number four is the number of Christ. He completely represented everything he desired. He was the complete personality. Uh, he was every kind of personality that you can talk about. But it says precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. We don't get this all in one dose. We don't get it from just one place. That's why the Word of God Whenever you see somebody that's falling into fanaticism or an extreme view or a strained view, it's because they, they get a pet thought from the Bible and they make it their whole program. It's not here, a little, there, a little. It's not precept upon precept, here, a little, there, a little. It is just one thing, and that's the cure-all, or it's one thing, and that's the only way to salvation. You know, it's just this one thing in diet, and, and, and if you just take this out of your diet, you'll be healthy. This, as parents, we need to understand that we need to take all these things, all these precepts, line upon line, precept upon precept, and we need to live the example. Mm -hmm. So follow the leader. So the call to our hearts is that we follow the leader, which is Christ, and then by our example, we are being leaders in our home to our children. And the goal is not that they follow us for the rest of life. Our goal is that as they see us connecting and finding our source of power and wisdom from God, that they connect with God and get that same source because that's the only true source that is 100% trustworthy. Mm -hmm. We as parents will fail. We've all made mistakes. So we're all the same. But God is the God of salvation, and he will help to nurture our young people if we cooperate with some of the simple things he's given us to be leaders in our home with our families. So we encourage you when, you when you take time individually. And for us, it was to start studying where we live life every day. It wasn't the Sabbath school lessons are good, but that's not where we live every day in the, the, the theoretical realm of whatever that Sabbath school lesson is discussing. That's, that's part of our fellowship with our brothers and sisters. So that's not to be neglected, but we, we have to say, okay, I'm living life every day in my home. I'm every day a mom. I'm every day a wife. That's where I need to put my focus in my devotional life because that's where I'm failing the most frequently in both those areas. 
And when we begin to do that, it, the Lord encourages us. We see little steps of progress and, and a more and more peaceful home, more and more happy children, more and more contentment, more and more love being infused and demonstrated in the home. So we're going we're gonna to close with prayer. And then, again, those that, that need to leave, it's fine. And anybody has any questions, we'll take a few minutes to, to answer questions. Honey, you want to close with prayer? Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are the leader. You are the creator. And you, through you comes salvation through you and your son, Jesus Christ. You want to lead us to our home eternal, Lord. And we definitely need help. We need encouragement. We need wisdom. We need uh, commitment and fortitude to move forward. So for each of us here today, I pray that you would put in our hearts the, the concept of following you through this journey of life is truly the most joyous journey we can be on, and that we would trust you and seek you for wisdom and guidance, and that you working in our hearts will be able to bring our young people into a relationship with you and into a relationship with, within the family that grows more and more dear as each day goes by. We pray for that wisdom and that desire in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org